If you would go ahead and be seated. Ushers, if you will, come on and receive the uh, tithes and offerings and prayer requests of God's people. As they're doing that, let me uh, give you kind of a heads up to about what today is. Today is a Sanctity of Life Sunday, and all over North America, churches are talking about and celebrating uh, the fact that God has made us in His image, that we have value because of who we are in Him, and there is a sanctity to the life that God gives. We've talked about this for years, and God has blessed us with the privilege of having a pregnancy center so that every, everyone in our community who is in need of help, even questions and doubts, they can know they'll be loved. And it's hard to believe it's only been a year. It seems like this ministry has existed. Of course, there's been a ministry for a longer than the building's been there, but there's been such a, an outpouring of an effective work that God has done uh, through this pregnancy center. And this morning, I just want to give you some highlights on that and to give you opportunity to hear a little bit more about how God has been at work and is working through the pregnancy center. Let's watch this together. It's been so fun to meet so many of these families and to see their babies, even last Sunday meeting a baby that had just been born. Uh, Brandy, I, this is Brandy Moore. Brandy leads our, the Pregnancy Center. And um, Brandy, when I see that term abortive-minded, I know what that means. But tell us, what does that mean when a person comes in and they're abortive-minded? If we have a young lady who gives us a call and wants an appointment or who comes in and indicates to us that they are looking to have an abortion, then we would say that that is an abortive-minded client. Okay, and so what you said is this year there were 11 people who came in who were abortive-minded, but there were eight that made another choice. There were eight that we seen who chose either to parent or chose parents for their child, and so they did not go through with their abortion. But not everyone who comes is abortive-minded. I mean, there's different situations, circumstances, yes. right? But there's an experience, there's a process that everyone goes through. Tell us about that. Yes. So the process is the same for anyone who comes in. Um, basically, we come in, they gather information, we start to build a relationship with them. As they go back with one of our advocates, we begin to ask them questions about their circumstances and their situations. We also want to ask them questions about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And at that point, we begin to share the gospel with them. And so when they do come in and they have all of these other things that overtake our life, just like us, we have all these things that overtake our life and they can't see right. any hope down the road, we're able to share the gospel with them. And then they begin to understand that Christ is the only hope that we have. And no matter what they choose, we love them. And so there are some who choose, they do choose abortion. And, and, and then what do we do? If a young lady has come in um, during our intake process, we will ask them how many pregnancies, how many miscarriages, how many abortions. And there are, have been a lot who come in thinking that we're an abortion clinic, honestly. Oh, wow. And so they come in and they have had abortions in their past. At that point, there's no judgment because we tell them we can't, we can't judge them because God doesn't judge us. We want to help them understand what forgiveness looks like in Christ. We want to love them and we want to walk with them through that healing process. And we actually have counseling resources available for, Absolutely. and then there's those who, who uh, they keep their baby, but then there's an adoption. Sometimes they, yes. they choose to raise. I mean, wh what happens there? Um, if they choose to parent their child, then we will walk with them up to two years. And so that gives us an opportunity. They continue to come in. 
two, at least twice a week, a lot of these families come in. A lot of daddies come in with them. Mm. And at that point, daddies just want to know how to be a dad or yeah. how to be a good dad. They're not even thinking about how to be a gospel-centered dad. And so this opens the door to a lot of conversations that we get to have about what it looks like to be in a family is one thing. To be a gospel-centered family with your foundation on Christ is something different. And so we're able to open up a lot of conversation with that. And then adoption, if they say, I would like to choose parents for my child, then absolutely we have different agencies that we can connect them to. And then they take them from there. It's amazing. No matter what happens, there's love. Hmm. No matter what, they are loved. And that's what we have to offer above everything else is love. So let's pray and ask God to use that love. Lord God, we thank you for the love you've given to us. And we thank you for the love that we get to share. And, and one of the ways we get to do that is through the Pregnancy Center. We're grateful for Brandy and her leadership, for her team. Thank you for the many lives that have been saved, for the, the many souls who have found a new life and been born again. God, we pray for continued blessing as we enter into the second year of the Pregnancy Center. And we pray that you would be glorified. This is your work. This is what you're doing. We're just a part of it. And we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be a part of it. And we pray you'd bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Brandy. And guys, I just want to thank you. We, we because of your generosity, uh, were able to completely pay for the entirety of the facility. Uh, with the um, numbers of people were coming, we were overwhelmed with the needs for our counseling center and pregnancy center. Because of the gift for life, we've been able to provide counseling. We have not run short. We have not been able to, to we've not been la lacking because, because of your support and because of what God has done through this body of believers. And it's so exciting to see so many families, these young families coming and they're seeking to understand the gospel and they're loved here. You are loved here, and we're glad, we're glad that you're here. We're, we're seeking to be a congregation that's a part of an awakening. We have been uh, praying. Last year, we prayed for a revival. Revival is something that happens inside a church. What we're praying for now is that God will, will awaken our city, awaken our nation. And, and we, we want to be a part of it, so we're praying for it. If you look in your bulletin, and I'm going to continue to point this out and encourage you in this direction because there's nothing more powerful than prayer. You'll notice that our awakening prayer this week is pray that God would provide opportunities for the gospel to penetrate unreached people groups and also gospel-aware but disinterested people in our city. We have 81 languages in our city, and only a few of those have gospel presentations being made in them. We, we also have a number of folks who've been around for a long time, and there's never been any interest in the things of God. Uh, some have given up on God. Some were once involved, but then they've, they've turned away and, turned and, and, and gone another path. There's so much need in our city and in our country. Friends, please pray. Pray every day that there would be an awakening. And be sure and go online and, and get our prayer focus. This is what we pray every day along with another need. Like Wednesdays, we always pray for revival. And we need to be praying together, praying towards the same need. And there's power in that. There's power in prayer. Please, I'm, congregation, I'm begging you, pray. Pray every day. Pray specifically for what is there for us to pray for, and the power of God is going to move. The power of God is going to, to be at work. We're already seeing it. As we're beginning this year, we're, we're saying to the city, come and see what God can do. And so this first series, you know, is calling us to see the need. So we're saying to our city, come see what God can do. God can change lives. And we all know that. God can take the very worst of sinners, and He can turn them into saints. And we know that for a fact, because because we were those sinners who become saints. Amen? 
And what God did with us, he can do with somebody else, and he's doing it now. And now what he wants us to do is to testify to that, to say, look at who our God is. Look what he can do. Look at this hope. But before we'll do that, we've got to see the need. So often we get so caught up in our own lives, problems, world, schedules, things. We, we don't look beyond us four and no more. And we, we have to. And so we've, we started the series this year, See the Need. And we talked about seeing the need in our home, seeing the need in our neighbors. And now today we want to talk about seeing the need in every, in every generation because our purpose for existing as a church is to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. So think about this in terms of your own life. Is this happening? Are you impacting your homes, your neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus? Or are you just a person who kind of checks into church every now and then? Are you a person who's so focused in on your life and what God is doing in, in, in your group that you're not really seeing the need beyond? There is a great need. And, and God is calling us to, to join Him in showing the love and sharing that so that we can impact others with the hope of Jesus. Today, we want to give attention to every generation. We're, we're going to look at God's Word. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, we're going to study Psalm 148 to get help in how we can do that. Go to Psalm 148. We're going to be in verses 12 through 14. Ava's going to read that for us. So let's all stand together in honor of God's Word as Ava comes to read for us. Psalm 148, verses 12 through 14. Ava, would you read that for us? Young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated. Thank you, Ava. Good job today. Please know that the hope of Jesus is always in danger of being hidden or taken away. Um, D.A. Carson is one of my favorite commentators, one of my favorite biblical scholars. Um, something he said has stuck with me and convicts me reminds me of the importance of, of what we're about here. He says, at any time, the covenant people of God are never more than one generation from extinction. You have to understand that we now live in a country where we have the freedom to do what we're doing right now. The First Amendment stands, and we have the freedom of religion. We can gather. We're not waiting on the state to tell us what to do. We, we have the freedom to, to gather together according to God's Word. And we can go to work tomorrow. We can go to school tomorrow. We can go uh, to our neighbors, to our homes, and we can share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It may not always be accepted. It may not always be something that, that people want to hear. And that's part of the challenge. That's part of why the gospel is always in danger. There, there are three things that I would encourage you to be mindful of that exist in our, our circumstance, in our culture, especially here in North America. One of those, and, and I would put it, I use two phrases or two concepts to, to talk about this one danger. We have secularism and what I would call religious liberalism which is basically saying to us, the hope of Jesus is unacceptable. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about Jesus Christ being the only way to heaven. Don't talk about the authority of Scripture. Don't, don't talk about uh, the, the miracle work of, of what God can do. Don't talk about it in school. Don't pray for it in school. Certainly don't bring it up in, in, in Congress. And, and it's no longer necessary to even say this when you give an oath in, in, in God, because that, that might be hurtful. And as a matter of fact, there's some even that are going so far as to saying parts of the Bible are hate speech. 
the book of love given to us by God is being called hate speech. And what the message that, that we need to hear is being said is, this is unacceptable. Secularism says this is unacceptable. Religious liberalism says this is unacceptable to have a truth claim that Jesus Christ is the only way that we can get to heaven. Shut your mouth. Don't say it anymore. It's unacceptable. That's one of the, one of the ways that, that, the, that the faith is currently, the hope of Jesus is, is under attack. Another threat is persecution. Now, in all honesty, we don't have a lot of that here. It is interesting to me when you look at places like Iran and China where persecution is, is, is pretty high. The church is growing fastest. Uh, it, it's, it's always been interesting to me how that, that happens to be. You know, uh, God calls us to share the hope that we have in Jesus. And when we're disobedient in that, God has a way of waking us up. You know, I would encourage you to go back and read the book of Acts, just maybe the first nine or ten chapters. What you see happening in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, hey, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The The Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, and church still doesn't go. Church grows in Jerusalem, but they won't leave. They won't leave until there's persecution until they begin to go through pain, until there is kind of a forced, a forced hand by God. And he'll do that because he's a good father. It'd be better for us just to be obedient, to go to our homes, to our neighbors in every generation. And, and despite, despite the, the pressures that are there and potential persecution, is share the hope that we have. Just share it. Just talk about it. Just celebrate it. A third threat, and probably the greatest threat, is apathy. It's apathy by those who claim, who claim to be those who have hope in Jesus, but they have decided that it's irrelevant. Now, again, most people don't say, oh, Jesus Christ is ir- irrelevant. That's not what most Christians will do. What most Christians will do is they'll just stop showing up for church. They'll just stop serving. They'll just stop talking about their faith. As a matter of fact, they'll get busy with so many worldly things that are important that their spiritual life will take a very, very deep back seat and and will become irrelevant to them. What what that tells a, a world of people who are looking for hope in all the wrong places is that Jesus really isn't that important. I mean, after all, these people who claim to be Christians... They care more about money or as much about money as I do. They care as much about position and authority and power as, as I do. It's, it's not as though that they're really leaning on Jesus. They're, they're seeking the same things I'm seeking. Jesus must not be very important. Friends, that, that's, what, that's what is a threat to our faith. It's our indifference. It, it's yes, there's persecution that makes it illegal. And yes, there's, there's those voices that say, you know, it's unacceptable to talk about them. One of the greatest dangers is the danger that's within our heart. And the hope of Jesus, friends, is the hope of the world. Every generation has a particular need, has a particular need for the hope of Jesus. Young people need the the sense of identity and the security that Jesus gives. Yesterday, I was with middle schoolers all day long. Middle schoolers are hilarious. They have no filter. They'll just tell you exactly what they're thinking. Don't ask them. They'll tell you. It It was fun to watch them, though. Because I saw some, you know, wearing, you know, athletic garb, and, and it was funny, you could, boys and girls, kind of, they were identifying as, you know, hey, I'm an athlete. There was another group that was there, it was fun to watch them, and, you know, a lot of them had kind of their sci-fi t-shirts on, they had on, you know, uh, different kinds of things that kind of identified them as kind of a more of an intellectual group, boys and girls. And then there were some that, that were wearing makeup and, and eyeliner, boys and girls, and all of them, what they were doing, yeah, we laugh, but honestly, what they're doing is they're saying, see, I belong to this group. 
See, this is, this is me, this is my identity. By, by the things I do and by the things I wear and the, and, the, and the way I dress myself up, this is my identity. And, and what they really long for is the identity that is bigger and beyond anything this world can provide. What they really, what we all hunger for is that identity to know that we are loved by Jesus Christ, that he is alive in us, and that, that what, we, what we do doesn't define us. Who he is defines us. And young people who are so hungry for an identity, they need Jesus. And then there's adults, people who are navigating some pretty significant decisions, and, and what they want is wisdom. And that wisdom that, that is needed to navigate hard decisions comes through focusing on Jesus Christ. Having been a shepherd now of, of, of different flocks, over the years I've seen this, and, and I talk with our pastors even now about sheep that I see taking their eyes off of Jesus, or they share with some of our staff will say, you know, we need to pray for so-and-so. We haven't seen them. We see them taking their eyes off of Jesus. And here's what we know is going to soon happen if they don't get their eyes back on Jesus. They're going to fall into a trap. They're going to get isolated, and the, the lion that is the devil that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5 will devour them. They're going to make an unwise decision, and they're going to hurt themselves, their marriage, their family, and they're in danger because they're being unwise because they're taking their focus off of Jesus Christ. When you take your eyes off of Jesus and the hope that he gives, you're going to make bad decisions. And so what, what, what we often see in the adults is this need to keep their focus on Jesus so they can make wise decisions. And then the senior adult community. There are so many who desperately, the comfort that comes from Jesus and the confidence he gives because many of them are burying their spouses. Many of them who once cared for children are now being cared for by their children. Some of them are seeing faces today and they know they should know their name, but they just can't recall it. They can't quite remember where they're supposed to be or how to get there. And they've, they've had their keys taken from them, and they've, they've had the freedom to be in their home taken from them, and, and they're scared. And they need to know that they are secure in Jesus Christ. They need the confidence to know that God will not leave them or forsake them. There's not a generation that exists in this congregation that doesn't need the hope of Jesus Christ. There's not a person in our city that doesn't need the hope of Jesus Christ. Every generation needs him, and it's our responsibility to show them who he is. There are great blessings that cause and come with the hope of Jesus. And that's what I hope to show you in our text today, and I encourage you to take notes of these three things. First is this, every generation needs the hope that comes with belonging to a faith family. I love the, the way that verse 12 points to the reality of what exists within a faith family. There are young men and maidens together, old men and children. See, the people who are called to praise the Lord, they come from every stage of life. This is a fact of life in every family of faith, every, every truly diverse church. And I, and I say diverse church because I, I, and I laugh when I say it because I think about a conference I was at several years ago, and there was a speaker up there criticizing churches like ours, a church like Living Hope. And, and I just had to smile because he was just talking about how diverse his 
congregation was, how, how they come from, you know, all these different backgrounds and different shades of colors of skin and, and all this stuff. But I knew this church and I knew this pastor and it made me laugh because I knew almost every single one of his members were 30 and younger. And I thought, that's not diversity. They all think alike. Get somebody who's 90 and someone who's 9 and someone who's 49 and put them in a car and decide what radio station you're going to listen to. <laughs> there you got to have grace, see? There there's got to be understanding. There's a family right there. See, that's what diversity looks like. Show me folks who process the world differently. Show me folks who, who have used different technologies and some complain about it, some accept it. It's people who, who have dealt with different scenarios or, or situations and, and have less or more time. Some who are naive, some who have become negative, some that have gone through different things. There's diversity in our family of faith. And it's because we, we come from these different ages. And it's not just chronological age, although that is significant. There's also a, a distinction in spiritual maturation. And, and the Apostle John spoke to this in 1 John chapter 2. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 12. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know who him, who, him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, commentators will tell you he is talking less about chronological age than he is spiritual maturity. He's talking to people who are at a different place in their relationship with God. Dave Putman several years ago put out this graph, and I introduced it to you uh, about uh, three or four months ago. And here's what you need to know about living hope. Every member of our congregation is in somewhere in this sliver. Unfortunately, there are some who are dead. They are unbelievers. They've never been born again. Uh, statisticians call them unregenerate church members. There are people who go to church who, who have even said, hey, I believe in this stuff, but in all honesty, they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They have never genuinely been saved. There are many who, who, who speak to, oh, I had this experience when I was younger, or I was baptized when I was younger but they really can't point to, and they really don't have a supernatural life in them that comes from Christ who has been raised through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. They're just churchgoers, and some of them are dead. Now, some are born again. They've been born again. They've experienced new life. They've genuinely repented of their sin. They've genuinely been transformed. They genuinely have eternal life. And some are infants. So a young lady that I got to meet this week and walk her through uh, two of the three big things, she was baptized at the 8 o'clock service. She's an infant. She's a brand new believer. Now, she's an intelligent woman. She is, she is going to be so successful in whatever she pursues because of her natural gifts. But as it pertains to the faith, she's a baby. She, it was great. I was telling her to turn to certain pages. Someone had given her a Bible. She was opening up pages that were stuck together because they've never been opened before. We were looking at John 3. Most of us know John 3.16. It was like the first time she'd ever seen it, which was so much fun. But she's an infant. 
It's understandable. She's only been saved a few weeks. Unfortunately, there are infants who've been sitting in pews for decades. There's not a lot of strength there. They could easily fall away. They could, they're easily deceived because they don't know the word. They don't know sound doctrine. There are some who are children. And they know some scripture, and many times they can speak to the aspects of the faith, but everything about church is them. It's what they like. You know, when they ask, how is church, sometimes their response will be, I liked it. I liked this, and I liked that, and I enjoyed that. And often when they leave the church, they say, I don't like this, and I didn't like that, and I didn't appreciate that. And it has everything to do with what they like, because they're childish. And there's not a lot of maturity there. There's not a lot of strength there. Are they saved? Absolutely. But are they strong? Well, no. Then there are some strong ones, and these are young adults. These are the ones who serve. These are the ones who lead groups. These are the ones who are willing to provide care in difficult uh, situations. These are the ones that really are the backbone of any congregation. They're the young adults who do the heavy lifting, but they're not the most mature. See, the most mature Christians are parents. These are the ones who have intentionality about reproducing the hope of the gospel through disciple-making. Remember what Jesus said. I've only quoted this, oh, what, 700 times since I've been your pastor. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go and make disciples of all nations, step one. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, step two. And teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, step three. Parents spiritually speaking, are those who make disciples, who baptize and then teach them to observe all that God has commanded in the Word. Unfortunately, there are very few people at Living Hope that do that. There are very few parents. There are very few people who are intentionally seeking to share the gospel, to make disciples. There are very few who have ever baptized someone that they led to the Lord, and very few who are now taking those new believers, teaching them to observe everything God's commanded. Now. I'm praying, I'm praying that within the next three to five years, every single member of Living Hope is going to experience one-on-one discipleship with another member and be trained to share three big things and walk in the disciples' life. I, I, I believe we have to have programs, and programs are great, but I'm absolutely convinced that what I see in the New Testament are people who are in relationship with one another, who look each other in the eye and provide accountability and care through conversation about real life. And so it's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging, but God has provided, I think, a vision for that. I would just ask for you to right now be praying about it. Know that some of you who are leaders, you're already about to, some of you already been contacted, more of you will be, because it's going to take a lot of work in order for us to continue to grow. And one of the things I love about a church family is that we're challenged. And let me just say this, if you're, if you're dead, listen, here's what I'd encourage you to pray. Lord, give me new life. If you're an infant or a child, say, Lord, help me grow up. Teach me to feed myself. Teach me to act on what the Word has called me to do. And if you're a young adult and, and you're leading a ministry and you're, you're able to teach and you're able to do these things in church, pray that God will get you outside of your comfort to make disciples, to share the gospel, and to grow. This is what God calls us to do. He calls us to grow, and that's what the church provides the opportunity for. Second thing, every generation, every generation needs the hope that comes with praising the God who is worthy, who is worthy. Look what the scripture says in verse 13. 
Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. There is a glorious hope that comes when we praise the Lord. Friends, praising the Lord is a blessing because it gives us the ability and opportunity to praise the one who is truly worthy. And, and we are never more healthy than when we are grateful and, and showing gratitude to someone who deserves it, someone who can care. There, there's nothing worse than being grateful and having no one to be grateful to. See, we are made to give gratitude for the good that comes to our life. And there's, there's all kinds of nonsense that happens in our world. There are people who say, oh, I want to thank Mother Nature. I want to thank creation. We are made to give gratitude to beings. And when I mean beings, I mean persons, those who think and feel and have a will. We are made ultimately to give praise, to give gratitude and show gratitude to our maker, to our God who thinks and feels and wills. And, and when we do that, there's something so satisfying within our soul because we are able to, to show gratitude to the one who deserves it. Now, those who praise God with gratitude, they understand two things I want you to see in your text. The first one is this. They understand that His name alone is exalted. Now, when they say, when the psalmist says His name, he's talking about God in His very being. He's, he's saying God in His very essence alone, there is no God like Him, is exalted. And, and that word exalted is the word shagav, and it means beyond us in every way. We need to understand that the God of the universe is beyond us in every way. One, because He's holy and we're sinners. Also because He's infinite and we're finite. The only way we could ever know God is in His grace of Him choosing to reveal Himself to us. We're born blind to God. We're born in sin. And the only way that we can know this God, to be grateful to this God, is by the power of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? When you begin to be discipled in three big things and you begin to have that one-on-one -on -one discipleship, here's the definition you're going to learn and, and begin to know and hold to. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is God and acted to rescue sinners from eternal death by becoming a man, living a holy life, dying on a cross to pay the penalty of sin, and being resurrected from death. Jesus will give eternal life to those who repent and believe in Him. Those who have been transformed and born again by the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, they are those who know to give praise to God, and they exalt His holy name because of His grace that's given them the ability and the desire. And when we praise Him, look what we praise Him. Look at what we are able to understand. His majesty. His majesty that is above earth and heaven. That word hod is, is the word for majesty. And it speaks to the aesthetic nature of God. Listen, God is never boring. You know who is boring? Me. I have a limited knowledge. I have a, a limited set of skills of language groups. As I was saying this, this morning at the 8 o'clock service, I looked over and one of our dear leaders was sound asleep. And, and I have that gift. If ever you cannot sleep, my sermons are online. They're for the free of use. Listen, I, I get it. And, and, and listen, those who, who, who write songs and sing songs and, and those who, who seek through books and podcasts and other things, man, listen, they're limited. But understand, there's no limit to God. I'm boring. I get it. Other songs can become boring. Artists can become boring. You know who's never boring? 
God. If you're bored, I'm going to tell you why. Your focus is in the wrong place. If you're looking for me to be, you know, exciting and as great as God is, well, that's an easy sell. That ain't going to happen. Anyone else for that matter. If your spiritual life is boring, let me tell you why. You don't have your eyes on Jesus. You're not seeing God as he really is. You're hearing maybe a bad description or maybe a bad song about who he is. Maybe a bad movie or a bad book about or a bad podcast about who he is. Our God is glorious and great. He is majestic. He is phenomenal. And when we praise him for who he is, there is such a satisfaction in us. As a matter of fact, until we praise him, we're never satisfied. C.S. Lewis says it this way. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Friends, we're made to praise. You're going to praise something. I mean, that's why, that's why people, we love movies. That's why we love music. That's why we love uh, the arts and theaters. why people go see Hamilton, right? They take a picture. We saw Hamilton. And what they're saying is, we saw something praiseworthy. And we were a part of it. This afternoon, in, in two hours and seven minutes, not that I'm keeping count, there's going to be a ball game. And all of a sudden, there are people who didn't know what a Titan was are going to be wearing blue. They don't know anything about the team, but they're for the Titans. I get it. That's good for you. And why? Because we all want to praise something. We all want to be a part of something great. Titans may or may not win, even if they do. Ten years from now, we're going to have a hard time remembering what year it was when. Movies, TV, all this stuff we, we absorb, we get ourselves absorbed in. And we praise it because we want to praise. It's not worthy. God alone is exalted. God alone is majestic. And it's when we are praising him that our soul is most satisfied because we're praising one who is worthy. And his worth gives us hope and it gives us strength and it gives us delight. It gives us what our, whole, our soul desires. And let me just remind you, God doesn't need our praise. He's God just fine without us. You know who needs the praise? We do. We need to give him the praise. We need to be identified with those who give him the praise. Last, every generation needs the hope that comes with experiencing the promise of the gospel. Psalm 148 is a Hallel Psalm. Let me tell you what that means. Look at the beginning of Psalm 148. And look at, the, look at the first words, and then look at the last words of Psalm 148. Look at the first words of Psalm 149. If it's in ESV, it says, praise the Lord. All your translations will say something like that. In Hebrew, it's, it's hallelujah. These are what are called Hallel Psalms. They are psalms of praise. They call us as God's people to praise the Lord. Now. Verse 14 does something very different. It's very unique. It's very important that you check this. This part is called messianic. This part is pointing to Jesus who is yet to come. Look at what it says. It says, 
He has raised up a horn for his people. This is the promise. Now, in Scripture, a horn is a symbol of strength and power. And what the, what, the, uh, the, what the psalmist is saying is, God has provided strength for his people, which revo- results in their being identified with him. Praise for all his saints. Praise for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. This, this picture is because there is a great strength and might, all who believe in him are identified with him, and they draw strength from him. Those who were once strangers are made friends. Those who were, who were once orphans are made family. Last fall, there was something kind of cool that happened in Nashville. I saw the news story. It was, about, it was about a freshman young boy. His name was Caleb Wren. Caleb was in a new school. He's a freshman. He's real, real small. He was short and he was super skinny and he was scared to death. And he went home after the first day and he was just... She was just so upset. There's no one who sat with him at lunch. No one talked to him all day. His family were upset about it. And, and somehow a message got out to some seniors at that school. Well, the next day, guess what they did? They went and sat with Caleb. Look at this. Here's a picture. These three seniors came and sat with Caleb. And they befriended him. And they said, Caleb, you're our friend. And you know what they started doing? They started telling everybody, Caleb's our friend. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted to know Caleb. All of a sudden, Caleb's walking out. Guess what kind of school year Caleb's had this year? Not bad. Because he was accepted and he was brought in and he was identified with the leaders. This is what God does with us. Every one of us is born in this world terrified. Yeah, we have blood relatives, but we spend our whole life trying to figure out where we belong. We try to figure out what went wrong and who can fix it, and if there's any reason for hope. We've, we spend a lot of our lives afraid. Afraid of being who we really are because we're afraid we won't be accepted. Afraid of what's going to happen in the future. Afraid if we really have a place where we belong. You know what is so great about Jesus Christ? Is he tells us, you belong to me. You're a part of my family. You know what's so cool about that? Is when you're a part of God's family, you have opportunity. Now you have to take advantage of the opportunity. Now, if Caleb had been invited around to people and had the opportunity to meet friends, but he put his head down and refused to talk to anybody, said, no, don't talk to me, I'm just going to sit. I'm gonna, you know, there's no relationship there, but that's on him. Do you know what he was willing to do? He was willing to say, you know what, I've been accepted. So I'm going to let other people into my life. I'm, I'm going to step out in faith. And I'm sure there were some tough days. I'm sure there were some negative things that were said. I'm sure there was, it wasn't always, you know, rainbows and unicorns because people are people. And if you get around people long enough, you're going to have conflict. That's just how we are. You know, what do we say in peacemaking? You're either in conflict, coming out of conflict, or going into conflict, right? But here's the great thing about being a part of God's family. You belong. And when you belong, you have the opportunity to connect. And when you connect, you experience life and hope. And that's what we're made for. And if you're not experiencing life and hope, if you're not experiencing the power of God, friends, it may be because you don't believe. It may be because you need to grow up. It may be because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and you're praising something that won't satisfy the, the depths of the needs of your soul. It, it may just be that you don't talk about him. You're not really celebrating the gospel, the good news of what God has done to make you a part of, of his life and his world. Friends, God has come. Hope 
has come. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? Do you truly love him? Do you truly praise him? Are you sharing him? Are you impacting your homes and your neighbors and every generation with the hope that he brings? Friends, maybe today you need to pray about that. We're gonna sing about Jesus. And while we do, you're welcome to come and pray. Let's stand together. Father, I'm so grateful that we can come to you because of what Jesus has done. Jesus, you've paid for our sin through your death. You've overcome our sin through your resurrection. We no longer fear death. We have life. Lord, I pray that some today would receive that life. I pray that some today would renew their confidence in that life, and they would, they would choose to make the decision to, to be a light. God, I know that there are some in our body. They need your help. They're in a conflict. Their health is, is, is struggling physically, maybe mentally or emotionally. But here's what we know, God, you're, you're strong, you're mighty, and you can save, and you can strengthen, and you will provide for those who trust in you. So as some come to pray, Lord, hear their prayers. We pray for an awakening. Hear our prayers. In the spirit of prayer, let's come. Come and pray as the Lord leads you.